Dear Lord, we need to have a little talk. We've come to one of my favorite segments of the year, our annual Christmas tree lighting. Why does this kind of stuff always happen to me, Kev? Why do people keep bringing up the human factor? If I don't do the internship, I'm gonna be painting a lot of walls, maybe for the rest of my life. I really miss him. You're gonna see a sign, and that sign is gonna point you towards doing something that makes a real difference. It's the reason. Life is a never-ending series of choices. So choose to be happy. An important part of kindness is cutting other people some slack. Looks like I have some praying to do, huh? Well, she's in good hands, but your prayers would be appreciated. We hope you enjoyed the trailer for the Thursday Night Club. If you haven't checked it out, head over to Pure Flix right now and check out the movie for yourself. It is such an inspiring film. And be sure to watch this podcast episode in its entirety as our next guest, Valor Smallone. We have a treat for you at the end. Not only will she talk about what projects she's working on uh, coming up, but we also have a clip of her on a hit TV show. You don't want to miss it. Mark 2.0. Valerie Smaldone, five-time Billboard Award-winning radio host, producer, you name it. She's done just about everything in the entertainment industry under the sun, is our guest today. Welcome, Valerie. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I'm, I'm just thinking what I haven't done. <laughs> um, I haven't danced. Oh, wow. Okay. Just so you know. Well, that's not true. I actually, I, I attempted to dance in an off-Broadway musical and that didn't go very well. So mm -hmm. I've left that behind. Wow. I think if I can, if, if looking at what you've done, if you'd have given it the attention, uh, you would have knocked that out of the park, just like everything oh, else. easily. Yeah. I think you, you ran out of time probably with all your other achievements <laughs> yeah. on the table. And fantastic to meet you. And thank you so much for being here and happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. And we are a little bit before that season gets into the full swing just yeah. a bit, but I thought I'd get into the mood with sparkle and with color and the poster for my movie. It's great. It's fabulous. It's, it's the perfect fabulous. setting. Yeah. Well, we'd like to start out. I'd like to start out by asking you about the Thursday Night Club and what was the primary message behind it? Oh, that's thank you for asking that question. Um, sure. it, just a, yesterday was, and I don't know when you're running this, but I don't mean to make it dated, but um, yesterday was World Kindness Day. Yeah, I and remember that. And it was that. appropriate because uh, the, the, one of the major messages of this film is simply about kindness, about being kind. It's like completely, I think it's underrated, like vanilla ice cream is underrated. Um, vanilla is a delightful flavor, but we often say vanilla as if that's not something that's nice or something that's good and exotic. And I think kindness is underrated. I think we live in a world that has gotten um, particularly brutal and chaotic and uh, tumultuous. And I think that this is this film is the antidote to that. It's about stopping and looking around yourself outside of your phone and your devices and seeing how you can be of service and how you can actually impact someone's life in a very simple way. Oftentimes it doesn't have to be massive. It could just be a simple 
act of kindness. So this film is about kindness. It's about paying it forward. And on a spiritual level, it's about following signs from God. Um, they're often all around us and we're not necessarily paying attention, keeping your eyes and your consciousness open to seeing if a path is sort of being made for us without us knowing it. That's amazing, really. I mean, how did, how did this project begin? Where did it begin? Yeah, it started as, as a novella, a small book written by Stephen Manchester. And Stephen is a great guy. He is a veteran. He was in um, law enforcement. And he decided when he came back from service and from being in uh, prison law enforcement that he wanted a kind of a gentler life. He wanted to be in a, in a more inspirational position. So he did what he always wanted to do, which was become an, an author, became a writer. And this story, The Thursday Night Club, he can tell it much better than I can, but it came uh, one day he was traveling by himself. He dropped his family off in the Cape. He lives in Massachusetts and he had to take a ferry. There was an issue with the ferry in the car. And I know that he just, it, it's a little complicated, but anyway, he was in his car and he sort of just started writing the story in the summer. It was a summer story and it became a holiday in the snow kind of a, a story about it, it was a little bit different than the way the movie was adapted, but it also was about kindness and it was about um, being guided from above. So that's Stephen's story, The Thursday Nightclub. It became a very popular novella and the company that published it has an audio drama company as well. Mm -hmm. So it was adapted into a podcast, an audio drama podcast uh, in December of 2019, right before the pandemic. It did very well, so it was produced like a serial, and uh, it did very well on Apple. It, people, it, it was sort of like a test ground to see, mm. does this story resonate uh, in a theatrical way? So it did, and the audio drama podcast, and so the company has always wanted to adapt it into a film. It took a little while, pandemic reasons, and here we are today, and it happened. It happened, and I'm really delighted that my path and their path crossed because here I am. So how, how, how did it get your attention and, and how did you get involved? I started working with a company in during the pandemic as a producer and we produced a, a docu-series during that time. And I always heard about this movie. It was always in the back burner that we really want to produce this film. And my time with the company just, I kept developing with them and developing projects with them. And I was on board for this movie. I said, I, I, I very much want to do it because I don't want to do nasty content. I don't want to do horror movies. I, I just don't want to go there. I really want to create stories, either fiction or not, that will inspire people and give them uh, tingles <laughs> you know sometimes when you when something is really special or it really resonates or hits your heart you sort of get those little get those little tingles those little chills i'd like to be able to give that to other people through content mm, i like that um <clears throat> you know the the older i get i think i get that more often with content of this kind you know i i really appreciate that you are veering off of the more violent, which is seems to be, um, oh, you can get a whole bunch of that anywhere sure. you go. But um, in fact, you're on a platform 
this is on a platform really that's that's positive. Can you speak a little about that? It's PureFlix and PureFlix is owned by Sony. So it's a, a big company and their mission is to create uh, or to, to show content that is faith and family. So it's either um, very religious based or it's inspirational or it's both. So it has kind of a wide reach, but it's all uplifting, positive, in some cases, lessons. Um, uh, and it, it has a, a popular a popular audience. I mean, people are craving this kind of content. So we were lucky enough to be picked up immediately. I mean, literally, we, we, were, we hadn't finished editing the, wow. the movie. We had a trailer, we had a sizzle reel, we had all this material. And we met the director of acquisitions at Pure Flix at a convention. And, uh, you know, a few months later, we were, we had a deal. And then we had a second deal. So it's going to be on Pure Flix through the holidays. And then we have a distributor who will take it to other platforms and also international. So that's great news. It'll be in many countries. Well, I'm even being opened up to this and I'm, you know, very into things of this kind and I didn't even really know about it. So thank you so much for that. And I'm going to, you know, dive into the other stuff that's on there. This is such a great movie. So this is a, a, a producer that you're the producer and director of this. Can you just tell our viewers, what does it mean first, before you go into what, what you did, what does it mean to be the producer? and director of a, a, a project of this caliber, this scale. Thank you. So I'm one of four producers. So I have my co-producers. I know you spoke to Monty Hobbs already. You had him on the program. And we uh, love Matthew him. Sh I'm sorry? And we love Monty, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Monty, We're Monty's fans. great. We are great. crazy about him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Monty Hobbs, Matthew Shazarex, and Lou Aronica. Lou also adapted uh, the film into adapted the story into the film mm -hmm. so the four of us are producers on this um and my uh, editor mike Furman, is also a producer on the film as well so but the executive producers it's an interesting question because the word producer has many different meanings so you could be an executive producer and you just you just pick up the money you find the money to finance the film and you do nothing else that's you know, you want to hear something funny? I was asking Mark. I'm like, is that a silly question? I don't know. Is it about the money? <laughs> yeah. Does she pay for everything? You know, and he's like, you know, let's just ask her, you know. So <laughs> I, I'm just glad you're clarifying yeah. because this is fascinating to me because, really you know, you know, please go on and, and explain, you know, you know, thank you for explaining this. Sure. So it, the word producer, like I said, it's a very large reaching topic. So the a producer, like if you get you know, 20th Century Fox, they produce, well, they, they finance it or they find the money. That That's the money part of producing. Yeah. And then there's boots on the ground producing, getting everything done, the back end of how does a movie get done? So you have to, you know, create a budget. You have to uh, decide on the, the people you're going to hire, the units you're going to hire. Um, what kinds of cameras are you going to have? Mm -hmm. Who's going to run the cameras? What is the sensibility of the movie? Will there be a lot of um, special effects? In this case, no, not in this movie. Um, what is the post-production like? 
What is the music going to be like? Are we going to license music? So all the elements that you never think about that need to be really pre-planned because you're working with a certain amount of money. There's a certain pool. There's a budget you have. And then location scouting. Where are we doing this? Where are people living? It goes down to, to catering. We have to feed people. Where do they go to the bathroom? You know, what about, it's true. If you're out on a set and it's, where where's the porta potties? So, every so you really level, need like fire producers. I mean, yes, yeah. everybody is working on different aspects mm. of the production. And I think it's a miracle, by the way, that it actually comes together. It's it's hellacious. It's chaotic. You think it'll never happen. And something happens. It's a miracle. I swear it's a miracle. When you get to the set the first day and I looked around and I saw all these people. All these people, we hired 40 people that I didn't know them before, you know, and, and then we have a cast, then you have to cast it. You have to get the right people for the parts. So all of that is part of producing. It's really heavy into the mechanics of making a film or a theater piece or a song. If you go into a recording studio, all of that back stuff needs to be prepared before you start doing the work. And then it doesn't end there. Then you have to, you have all, you have the film, you have all this stuff shot. Now you have to make it into a film. It's not a film until you go into the editing suite and you shape the story and you add the music and you add the sound effects and you add narration if you need it, or you do ADR work, which is adding sound to your, your, uh, your mix. So it's a very complicated process. And when you think about, like a Marvel comic or something. I mean, the, the millions and millions and millions of dollars in a budget to create that entertainment with green screens and all that backstory or Tom Cruise and, you know, in flight. This, this yeah. movie is very, very simple compared to all of that. It's really just telling a story and laying it out very simply. And, and so our budget is not a Marvel comics budget, no. obviously. <laughs> So you're also the director. So are you the sole director then? I was the director. I am the director. Uh, the director helps take the vision of the movie and see it out. It works. The director works intimately with the actors and prepares them or gets mm. them through the, the scenes. But the director of photography, who is there creating the shots, coming up with the angles, knowing what cameras they want to use, knowing how they're going to shoot the scene, working with lighting and electrical, all of that. The director of photography is, is very, very important too from the technical aspect. And the director and the director of photography work together to create the vision of the movie. Mm -hmm. So she, and I'm very proud to say there was a, two women on this set, director of photography and director working together to have the vision and if i didn't understand something because she's very into cameras and into all of that she would explain to me the things i didn't know and if i'm looking for something in a scene that i say how do i accomplish this we work together to get where we need to be <clears throat> that's awesome so you got a so you got a sound guy too or person too and then what else is there well in a scene you know you have the assistant director who yells at everybody it's very cool because I, my assistant director, Mike, who's who was terrific on set, kept it 
in control. And the director oftentimes is not in the room. So I'm watching this. I could be out of the room where they're actually shooting this in video village where we have our video and I'm hearing the, the audio. And then he runs the show until I say, I'm coming in <laughs> or let's stop. I need you because, you know, you have to also adhere to the budget and the time. So if you know you have a 10 hour shoot day and you know you have to accomplish certain scenes, he's keeping us on track. The producers are looking at timing with me um, and we, but we have to get the right shot. So all of these elements are part of making this movie. So many times I wasn't actually in the room, I was watching and then I would be communicating with him through, you know, walkie or whatever, or I would just walk in the room and say, we, you know, let, let's discuss how we're doing this. So, um, and he can be the one that yells too. So I let him yell because <laughs> yeah. I want to be nice. Shout so out to Mike great. and yeah. everybody else too. <laughs> oh yeah. And okay. That's really cool. I just feel like, I just like, feel like I'm there with you. That was really awesome. So, so, um, so what, what is different about this project than your other projects that you can just kind of, it's, it's memorable to you, you know? I, I think taking over a town, a wonderful little yeah. town okay. called New Milford, Connecticut, where we had housing and we had set design and we had space in buildings to do this movie was different than anything I have ever done because, and I should say, this is my first movie that I've directed. Oh, and I, well, congrats. My direct, yes, thank you. And most of my directing has been theater mm -hmm. uh, or mm. audio because I, I'm in the voiceover world and I do audio um, documentaries. Mm, so, yeah, we heard. <laughs> so all of that is still the same skill set, but you, you're not having the cameras there. All right. So now mm -hmm. you're adding in the visual aspect of of the story. Um, so for me, what was different is I've never done this before. And it was a big project to walk into a town and deal with the mayor and deal with the film commission. We met the governor of Connecticut at one point um, and to infuse revenue into an economy was fantastic. I mean, think about it. We we swept into town. We ate, we rented houses, you know, we bought coffee. We brought revenue into the into the town, which was also a big plus for us to to do that. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. So every day I had a very nice feeling when I would go to the set. I never dreaded it. I never was mad. I never was upset. I was so grateful to have been given this odd opportunity that I never expected. I it really was an odd situation that uh, came across my life and I grasped it and learned a great deal during this it was really did fun. a great job and that town is so beautiful it was do you know yeah. Milford uh, I, I just, just the scenery the yeah. scenery is just so beautiful yeah I know I don't know personally but it's just like a beautifully done uh movie and and it's just a beautiful town and it's great that you picked a U.S. town because so many, like the Hallmark Channel, they, they use, no offense to Canada, they they use like Hamilton, Ontario, or places over by Vancouver. And you chose the perfect location. Was it hard to get that location? Uh, no, it, it wasn't. They have a film commission that was mm. instituted in about 2002. I actually, uh, my husband and I used to live, we had a house in the village, in the mm. town of, okay. of New Milford. So I was aware 
that they had this film commission that was instituted in 2002. Adam Sandler came to town to do a film and somebody brightly said, well, if we have one film, why don't we attract more films? Yeah. And so I remembered that and I wanted to go back to that town. I mean, equally, I would have been happy in, in Hudson Valley, New York. It's gorgeous in the Hudson Valley. I'm sure there are many beautiful towns all over the place. We were even considering the South uh, in Arkansas or or someplace like that. But none of us are, well, Monty's from the South, but he's North Carolina. And we didn't have, we, we didn't know people there. We didn't know crew. We didn't, we didn't know anybody. So I felt it was better for us to be in an area that was close to where we mostly lived. And most of us lived in the Northeast and Monty's the only one from North Carolina. Have you ever worked with such a ca cast and crew so big? Is that, was that pretty big for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not enormous, but it's also not tiny. And it's funny because I did a film, I acted in a film right after that um, with a very, very small crew, very small. And I said, wow, we, we actually had a sizable amount of people doing things for us. It was it was cool. It was yeah, lovely. How, how long did it take to, to, to do this movie, to shoot that? When the actual shooting schedule was a month. And we started, we came to the town in early March and we wrapped March 30th. Wow. And then we took a little break and we started editing end of April, beginning of May, six weeks. Uh, like I said, it's a simple film. It is not a complicated, highly produced, glossy film. It's a story. I really wanted the story to be the, the main point the, the message is the story and so no bells and whistles really mm. you know it's just storytelling yeah what was the workbook that goes with it explain explain the workbook and what that so, uh, consists of yeah the workbook is meant for church groups um civic organizations senior living centers uh it reflects the principles in the film as it relates to the Bible. And so Reverend Bob McCaskill took the principles of the film and wrote lessons based on that. So for a deeper conversation, we can watch the film and that's very nice. But if you want to go deeper and see how you can be a better person, you can give back to society, how do you handle grief? Because there is a, a sad part of the movie where somebody experiences tragic loss and there's a grieving process. What is grief like? You know, and I think particularly coming out of the pandemic, when so many people were affected by loss on some level, this is a perfect opportunity to have conversation in your community, in your school, in your Bible class, you know, wherever you can have these conversation circles it provides a deeper opportunity. And Gloria Gaynor, who's in the film, yeah. wrote the um, introduction to the workbook. And mm. her wow. her sense of being guided is written there, uh, being guided to write a song, being guided by her belief and her faith. And I find that very inspirational. So it's a lovely book and it's a separate piece of the film. It's a companion workbook that's available. How touched no. were you by uh, what Gloria said about, because this was her first role, right? In acting. Uh, Monty. I remember Monty was yeah, talking about it. Yeah, he said that too. It's her first 
acting role, right? She's played herself mm, in okay. anything, TV and film, but she sure. played Gloria Gaynor. Now she played Dr. Poitier. And she she actually chose the name Dr. Poitier because we didn't have a name for the doctor and said, doctor, it's a doctor in the script. What would you like to be? And she she named it after Sidney Poitier, who had just passed away. That was her homage to him. Um, so having Gloria on set was absolutely delightful. She did a great job, very believable. And she has been doing a lot of press for us. And so bringing attention to the film on Pure Flicks has been awesome. Her story, that what she writes in the introduction, is about um, really being guided uh, to write lyrics for a song of faith. Gloria, of course, is a pop diva, but in recent years, she has started to get into gospel music and she's she sings songs in that genre now. So everything's kind of coming together in this faith-based path that we have been on. Um, and, and Gloria has joined us in the journey. Uh, you know, I personally have like kind of switched uh, not to go into you know anything except that I kind of switch genres and it's kind of more like a country or bluegrass sort of thing. And I find myself listening to a, a lot more gospel and other people too, like even younger people. Do you feel like this is like starting to like catch on a little more um, lately? You know, it, it it's very feasible that that is true because I think people are searching for a deeper meaning in life. And I think that what we have been through, and I keep coming back to the pandemic because it was obviously life altering. It was universal because the entire world experienced it. And we're, we're still feeling the fallout from it. I, I don't think yeah. we've been able to really properly express uh, the, the trauma that we've all been through. I think we've all been through on some level. Now, not everybody, because some people, I don't know where you are in the world. Where are you? Uh, Phoenix. Oh, both in Phoenix? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting you say Arizona, because I was just going to point out my friend in Tucson did not feel it the way we did here. Because why? First of all, they're, oh, you're always outside. It's warm weather in the winter. Yeah. So you're not feeling the being indoors and being isolated in a New York City apartment. Mm -hmm. She never felt it the way we did. Yeah. So she said her life didn't change that much. It didn't really change. So I can't say everybody, but she certainly knew people who got sick. She certainly knew people who died. And I think that the trauma of this has yet to be told. So my belief is that people are looking for something deeper, some deeper sense of meaning, however you want to quantify that or qualify it, uh, and whatever that means spiritually to you. So if people feel better going to church on their own like that, I started to do that. My mother died during the pandemic from COVID. Sorry. Oh, oh. So Sorry. my, it was, it was terrible, terrible because you couldn't give anybody a funeral. It was, yeah. it, it was otherworldly. So be, to be closer to her, I would start to go to church and I would light a candle. And that became my ritual that every week, I'd light a candle for my mom and dad and a friend who passed away. And that gave me solace. I never did that before. So I think people are changing their habits a little bit to be a bit more spiritual, to be open to it. And to even if you don't practice it 
fully to think about it in a different way. And so PureFlix provides, as, as an example, this platform provides many different kinds of content, even documentaries about this. And I went to a, um, a Christian uh, film conference and I saw a lot of documentaries questioning, what is this? What is the case for God? Is there a case for God? You know, how do we go through this? It's a great conversation. It's a great conversation as long as everybody respects each other. You know, and, and just keep your mind open. That's what I think. I really appreciate you even tackling content of this kind. I was just so thankful hearing that Monty was involved in 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 stuff like this, you know, and and now here you are with this great movie. Um <clears throat> is there anything you'd like to um say before we take, you know, off the subject of the movie? Is there anything you'd like to tell our viewers? uh about the movie i mean not not just where to see it but just something something you'd like to convey to our viewers on why they should maybe check it out why they might like it we have an interesting arc a storyline in the movie that is an added bonus and it provides an opportunity for us as producers to raise awareness about a particular subject which is bone marrow donation and in the movie there's a storyline about uh, a, one of the Thursday night club members giving bone marrow to a young girl. And what's interesting about this storyline is that I cast in the movie a non-actor who plays the part of a bone marrow registry executive. She meets him in the college that she's at by accident. And the next thing you know, she's like following a sign from God because she was told she would have a sign and she believes this is a sign to be swabbed because that's how they put you on the registry. You go, you swab your cheek, you send it in and that's how the, um, how you're matched as a bone marrow donor through your DNA. Hmm. So um, in the movie, this young girl, this young woman is matched and gives her bone marrow to a, a young child. The man that I cast in that role did do that in real life. Wow. He was a football player at Central Connecticut State University. And the coach said to all the young men on that, that team, hey guys, I want you to be part of Be The Match, which is the National Bone Marrow Registry. Swab your cheek. All the guys did it. And this man, Mike, was a match for a wow. little girl in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So he went through the process. He gave his bone marrow. He had to be off the football team for that year because it's it was a process. And he saved her life. So I cast him in the movie. Wow. I cast him wow. in the film because even though he, look, he's not an actor, but the authentic story behind it is yeah. so powerful that I really wanted to have him in this film. And he was so sweet and delightful because he wants to continue to shed awareness, shed a light on bone marrow donation, because everybody can just swab. Chances are you're not going to be a match, but what if you are? What if you can save a life? Yeah. So we worked with Be The Match, the organization, and the Andy Talley Bone Marrow Foundation. Andy Talley was a coach at Villanova, he was a football coach. And he said, I have all these young, strong men available. Why don't we try and see if we can get all these teams to participate in the country, all these college teams to participate. And so it's just fantastic to be able to 
tell people about this. And that is a backstory in this movie that is so nice to share with you. Gosh. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. Well, thank you again for uh for for your hard work on that. Um would you mind telling us a little now about um your past? Like maybe you mentioned you do voiceover. You seem like you're pretty much an expert at that. Um can you give us briefly about your career and uh because I know people, you know, watch this and they want to get into this kind of business. And yeah. I, I find a lot of people that comes up quite a bit. Yeah, I did some voiceover. I did some voiceover. So what does it mean to be a voiceover artist? And um, and, and I don't know, what, what do you want to share with our audience? What can, could you share? So being a voiceover artist, like a producer, has many um, pieces of the puzzle. Uh, you can do commercials. You can do narrations you can do audiobooks you can do um the automated voice on a phone is a voiceover when you think about it hmm. any recorded voice meaning you're not seeing me speak it's a recorded voice that is uh consumed so it's a very large field i've been doing it since i was 19. wow um because I was in radio as well for many, many years. And I felt that if I could use my voice in radio, why can't I have another revenue stream in voiceover? So I started doing this at a very young age. My area of expertise for a very long time was TV promos, mm, network TV wow. promos nice. for NBC, CBS, mm. HBO, Cinemax, Lifetime, all of those channels and networks. Um, and I was probably one of the first, because I've been around a long time, one of the first female voices on news promos, because wow. traditionally it would be the man with the very deep, big voice that would do these promos. And they started to change back in the <laughs> 80s. In the yeah. 80s. yeah. Okay. And um, I was very young at the time, but um, I started to do these news promos. And I love doing that because that was my area. I was sort of the voice of authority with that kind of a voice. Mm. And I was... Uh, switched somewhere along the way I was able to work in sports promos yeah. and work with Boomer Esiason as his voice Whoa. of his TV show that he had at the time um this again was quite a long time ago so it's a it's a fun field it uh, is very varied um now it's very saturated because everybody can do voiceover because everybody mm, yeah. has a microphone mm. and a computer Whereas right. years Good ago, point. you know, you really had to go into a recording studio. You really had to have representation to get you there. You, you know, it was a, a very rarefied group of people who did this. Like back in the day, jingle singers, there were, mm, you know, yeah. like 20 jingle singers and that's it. Today, because of technology, the gates are wide open. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do voiceover technically. It's very easy to do it get a USB mic, get a computer, you record it, you can record on your phone and on an app, you know, if you have the right app. So technically it's easy to do. It's getting the work, it's finding the avenues. And um, there are a million ways to do it. I mean, we can have a whole seminar on that one day, but uh, the gates are open, but it's a saturated field. Nice. So what I tell people is if you have a specific thing you do well, or if you speak a, lang a foreign language well, if you're fluent, 
and somebody's looking for somebody who speaks Farsi, that's great because you're going to be unique. So try to find that unique quality about yourself. If you do character voices, that's beautiful. You know, if you read very, very well and you like to do audiobooks, beautiful. Find mm. that niche that is unique to you and exploit that. That's my advice mm. to anybody interested in voiceover. And then expand beyond that. You've gone so far. I mean, you have this charmed life. You were in radio even before you were 19 then? Well, I started, I went to Fordham University in, in New York mm. and they have a 50,000 watt radio station. Wow. And I, on my, literally on my first day of school, I was 17 and I walked into the radio stations that had his work. And I auditioned for the announcer's workshop. I got the, mm -hmm. I got into the announcer's workshop right. and I started working at college radio. And then I was hired, I think in my junior year at a professional station wow. outside of New York city. So I've been doing it for a very long time, the mm -hmm. radio business. And now I'm out of it a little bit. I, I, I had been doing radio up until 21, but with all my responsibilities, it just, I couldn't do it any longer. So I had to make a decision and sort of let that go for now. Doesn't mean forever, but let that go and uh, concentrate on producing and directing. Is the radio business not the same as it was? Like there's not as many jobs, like because of all the streaming and everything. Like we interviewed Aretha Franklin's son, Teddy Richards. He does on Live 365, his own radio, Think Radio. And there's other people that do that. Is it much different nowadays with radio personalities? Well, there's, again, sort of because of technology, the same thing with voiceover. There's more opportunities because of the different streaming networks. But it, it, it's, um, it's hard to make a living doing it now, I think. Um, and I was very, very lucky that I was in... I was at a radio station that I called the Yankees of radio because it was the number one radio station in the country, the number one billing radio station. My time slot was the number one rated for music radio. And so we were a high, high brow radio station. And I was part of that experience for a long time. So I was very lucky and it was a hmm. phenomenal experience those jobs are not there as much anymore. Not saying that you, you can't make money or you can't uh, become a star in the radio field. It's harder and harder to do because a lot of these companies have gobbled each other up. And yeah. so they have one voice on 15 stations. Oh, so yeah. the jobs on a, I'm talking about terrestrial, terrestrial radio, not Sirius, not satellite, <clears throat> excuse me, terrestrial radio. That means the old fashioned over the air turn on the radio radio which i don't even know that people do do, do i people was gonna say anymore? yeah who when does? is the last yeah. time i turned on the radio <laughs> i don't radio. think so i'm the same way unfortunately so uh you uh, you were an actress too though uh in between all of that <laughs> right i mean i have my notes say uh blue bloods and uh I, what other work did you do I've done also fairly recently, the last few years, um, Law and Order, the new Law and Order, organized crime, something called um, the oh, it's on HBO Max. It's a funny show. It's um, the other two, it's comedy. Oh uh, yeah, I, I did, saw that one. Yeah. I remember seeing you in that. Yeah, I I did Tommy, which was one season on CBS. I love Tommy. 
It was with Edie Falco. She was playing uh, the chief of police of Los Angeles. It was a fabulous show. I don't know why it got canceled, but I was in Tommy. I did Manifest, which was on NBC that went, then went to Netflix. Um, all, most of the jobs I do, I'm cast as a TV reporter because I have TV, you know, I've done it, right? So they like yeah. to cast real media people doing that. Well, that was er early on too, because I saw you in Born in Flames. And that was like oh, 83, please, I, yeah. Oh my, I was a child. <laughs> I was a child, yes. Yes, that's how I started. But um, my favorite role was Blue Bloods because I played an attorney. And if you, I would love to send you a clip because it's very funny. I play an attorney. I have two words, but they're important words. And I'm in the whole scene and we laugh about it all the time because the two words are simply jerry please oh mark oh. we have to run that <laughs> yeah we're, we, we're, we, we are do. gonna yeah. we're, we're gonna do it I, I think if it's really short it's allowed we yeah, might be able to do is. that that'd be so funny we have to do fun. that it's fun and, and it was a great experience blue bloods was a great experience so i still dabble i still i have an, a manager that sends me out and uh i do things I just did this film for my friend who was producing it. It is a horror film, but I am not in any violent scenes at all. <laughs> I am just interviewing somebody in a horror <laughs> film. And I did it because I love my friend who's producing it. Um, I'm in Figs for Italo, which is a small film, a short film rather, that did very, very well. I sent you a photo from that. Yeah. So yeah, I do, I do stuff now and again. And I love theater. That's my my blood i love theater um uh, so yeah keep busy i keep busy that's awesome that's for sure uh so um i was wondering since um <clears throat> you got into all this in an early age your parents must have been uh pretty cool when it comes to all this stuff let me ask wh where were you where were you born the bronx and where wow. were your parents born the bronx yeah there you yeah. go. So <clears throat> how how early did your parents start to accept this whole entertainment stuff with you and uh how how did that uh how did that start? It's a great story. Thank you for asking. My um my parents loved the culture of New York City. And they exposed us, me and my sister, to opera, ballet, Broadway fine dining we didn't have we were not a wealthy family we didn't go on vacation but they did expose us to the culture of new york for which i am so grateful and am so in love with the fact that i was able to do that i've seen thousands of broadway shows thousands wow. and i realize that most people don't even get to see one in their lifetime so i fell in love with the theater at a very young age my mother in her, my mother was a teacher and spoke four languages and her effort to continue to educate my sister and myself. One summer with no air conditioning in our car, she says, we're driving to Stratford, Connecticut because there was a replica in Stratford, Connecticut of the Globe Theater in Stratford, England. And they did classic plays, Shakespeare, Moliere, all these classic plays. And I was, I don't know, eight. And I said, mommy, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to see her 
be the love bug, which was a movie yeah, that was yes. out of time. Oh. I'm really dating myself, guys. You're going to look no, this up. No, we love that, too. We love that, too. I grew up on that. I saw be the love times, bug. yes. Right? <clears throat> Absolutely. So I put up such a struggle the whole way. She said, no, we're going to see Shakespeare at the Shakespeare at the Globe. Beautiful theater, very hot summer day. We go to the theater and we see um, we see Shakespeare. They're all dressed in these costumes, heavy, heavy brocade. The air conditioning broke in the theater. Oh, wow. So my mother's sweating. She's sweating at intermission. She turns to me and she says, Valerie, you win. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and I had been smitten at this point. I had seen these people on stage and I was like, no, mommy, I don't want to go. Oh, no. Yeah. So now I made her stay <laughs> till the end of the play because I saw these characters come to life. I saw them unbelievably perform in the heat with these terribly long and you know heavy costumes. And they came out afterwards and thanked everybody for staying. And I, I was wow. just in love. I was in love. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Yeah. And I just, wow. I... I wanted to go to theater constantly. I wanted to be in the theater constantly. And my father was a photographer in New York, and he was a little bit wary of me getting into entertainment because he had his experiences with it. So he was the one who said, why don't you get into radio? Oh. He was the one who said, you should try this. And I sort of thought, okay, that's sort of like entertainment. All right. So he thought it a more safe correct. avenue. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's and interesting. He was lucky because most people leave. If you're in New York and you're starting out, you don't start out in New York. You go to Dubuque or you go to you know Northern Maine. But I was lucky that I I, I never left New York. I just did local radio outside of New York City. It was my beginning. You know, half hour outside of New York, and then I and then I was in New York City, and I never left. It's cool that you got into it and never left that industry and you've just been riding it the whole time and you're just, um, you ended up in a place that's I just pure light and positive energy and uh, you yeah. don't like all that negative stuff, you know, and uh, that's probably a whole other hour show in and of itself right there. Uh, so let's say, um, you know, God drops this money bomb on you and, and says, you know, go do something, Valerie. Well, what would you do with like a, a big budget project that you were in charge of? I, I'd love to create the story. So if somebody said, look, here's a lot of money. What do you want to do with it? Yeah. I always want to give something back to whatever topic or organization we're involved with. There, there's got to be a give back not just give me, give me, but let me give back something, whether it's awareness or it's money or it's resources, something that's important. What do I love? I love animals. I love food. I love to make people happy. We'll figure out what we can do. I don't have that answer for you right now, yeah. but I think if, if I could do anything, it would be to um, create happiness through those elements I just mentioned to you, food, music, animals. What else? I mean, really? No, can't get much better than that. Sounds sure. good to me. Sure. Yeah. Does. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, sorry, Mark. I'm hogging the gas. No, Go you're ahead. fine. Go right ahead. So, uh, 
Well, um, I think uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, before we left, you know, what 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 do you think your uh, key to success uh, is? Yeah. Well, what was what was the key to your success? I think your parents were probably they a must good, have played a, a big good role. part of it. The, the way your mom, you know, took you to that Shakespeare thing, and then you know, and that's really a funny story how that <laughs> air conditioning was out, you know. But uh, what what else did your mom do to propel you? And 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 also, who else propelled you in into this this direction? Well, my father too, because as I said, he was the one who exposed me to radio he loved radio and he said i think this is great for you as you said to make it a little safer for me um and the constant exposure and buying of tickets and taking us to fine dining uh, that they did was very very important for my development um i always kind of thought i was a little missing out on something by growing up in phoenix you know because i come from a bunch of hunter cowboy guys you know <laughs> you yeah. know who know how to shoot exactly. ducks and stuff like that you know oh, so geez. you know i thought I, I just was always very envious of people who are highly cultured you know in on the east coast where kind of the united states was born you know and culture began and you know and evolved over a long period of time and out here we're always just kind of roughing it all the time you know even in phoenix when i was growing up i remember my standing outside my house at five years old and all i saw was bulldozers just plowing everything down and plowing everything uh, down and wow i just think it was you know i i just like hearing the whole new york perspective and someone so appreciative of yeah. you don't hear that you no. know you hear people talk about the toughness of new york the business of new york you know but someone who is just really just appreciating all the and you went to all of those um you said you went to like a thousand different um thousands thousands, thousands. I mean, because yeah. i started very very young and then luckily i was able to go to through press contacts and because i write an article about theater so I would get press tickets and the press tickets are, you know, you're getting orchestra seats in a mm, Broadway house. Yeah. And then I have relationships with the Broadway uh, league and I do work for them. I just did a concert in Times Square for them uh, at the beginning of the Broadway season. So I'm in it a little bit and I'm sort of circulating around those people. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I, I don't take anything for granted ever. And to answer your question about success, and I don't know that I would state myself as successful because i'm i don't know what success is that's a topic for another day i don't know how we define success but yeah. what i can tell you is that i'm not i will never not work i have worked i'll share a story with you i left sure. the radio station i was doing they took very good care of me this radio station i decided i was going to leave and and uh, reject a contract because I saw the future of music radio and I didn't think it was going to be where we were. Mm. Case in point, nobody turns on the radio like this, right? They listen differently. We listen differently. So I saw this coming and I decided I wanted to do something different. So I left the radio station. It was 2008. If you recall, that was the time when the world crashed, the economy crashed yeah. um, and everything was really bad. So there was no work. And certainly nobody was going to hire me. 
So because I had come from a very high end radio station, but what I decided I was going to do was get into talk radio because I was a music radio person, but I needed to learn talk radio. I don't know, like this, you know, you have to talk to people, you have to fill time, you have to um, be on certain elements that you have to hit on a radio station live. So I went to a radio station on their stream. They had just started to uh, have different programming on their stream. I said, give me an, a, a couple hours a day on your stream and I'm going to develop my radio show. And I did that for two years every day and I made no money, zero dollars. I wanted to learn it and I wanted to do it in the best way I could do it. So I'm not afraid of saying, well, I mean, I'm so-and-so and this is what I had because every day is a new story. And those people who say, you know, I, I, I at a certain level, no, you're, you're not. You're, you're not, because if you were, you'd be there. So you have to be willing to start again and again and again. And i that's one thing I will say. I have been very able to begin at the bottom. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that at all. Um, and so if, if you want to say that's resilience, that's what I think I have. And um, And sometimes you get sad and sometimes you cry. And then it's over and you're like, okay, let's go. You just have to have a hard, you have to realize that it's not a linear life. I don't think it goes, oh, today I've made this money and tomorrow I'll make this money and I'll be successful here. No, every day is different and every circumstance is different. And you think of in the history of the world, um, people who have been very wealthy and then one day the Nazis come in and take that away from them. You can't have that any longer. What happened in the Ukraine? Those people changed overnight. Things mm -hmm. change and you have to be able to address it and be resilient. I th so to answer your question, I think that's something that I have in my, in my arsenal of, of good things, I think. <clears throat> oh yeah, most wonderful, definitely. wonderful attitude. I love your modesty uh, along with your confidence. You know, you just... Um, beautiful and talented and you just want to give back and give back and and uh, the world would be okay if we had a lot of people like you running around for so sure yeah thank you just keep up the good work and uh you know I, i'm very just very very impressed with everything you've done and can't wait to see what you do next mark yeah. you got any more questions for no uh, it was just an honor and you know just a thrill you know we're really inspired by what you do and it's it makes a difference in the world just Thank a beautiful, you. beautiful story you tell. Is there anything you'd like to cap this off with tonight? Yes. Our next project is Divine Renovation. Oh, and yes. Erica Strada. Yeah. 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 We just shot We've been that following in, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We shot that in October and it was so much fun. And oh, I'm so happy to be able to actually help people and give them a leg up uh, with small enhancements in their lives. And so that's our next project that's coming out next spring. We're in the editing process right now, and um, it was a wonderful experience. So if I can stay in that area of doing things and, and creating stories and making people feel good, I think this is a good part of my career now that I'm enjoying very, very much. 
Uh, yeah. Mark, we've been watching this thing unfold. I can't wait till the it's spring. Great. Do we actually get to see it? This is so fun. It this is. is. It so really is. fun to watch this thing come. So thank you for mentioning that because we are just so excited about it. And it's so and good to, you know, talk to somebody who's totally transitioned to doing feel good, you know, thoughtful entertainment that's meaningful to, to the society with every, like you've mentioned before, with everything that's going on in society. We need this. We need this content like never before. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And thank you for reaching out. And um, maybe I'll see you in Arizona because I go a lot to Tucson. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, yes. I'm going Reach to uh, Wilmington. I'm moving to Wilmington in uh, Are April. You? Really? Yeah, the, the end of March, yeah. So. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I'll see you there. <laughs> Excellent. Looking forward to it. It was Lovely. so great having you here. It today. really was. Really appreciate the thrill. Thank you. Happy holidays. Be yeah. Well. Thank you. And Same come back you. if something else happens. Well, we would always love you to just anytime you want to come back. We'll do. Yeah, we'd love to Thank promote you. anything you're doing. Thank you. I want to hand it to you, people, because this is probably the phoniest setup since the invasion of Iraq. Really. So somebody else put the roofies in your bathroom. You think I look like Jerry, someone who needs... please. No, they were not my drugs. I don't even know how they got there. They were probably planted by Miss Diana. Yeah. She roofied herself. Come on. Hi. All right, cut to the chase. I had sex with her. Great. Now we're talking. But it was totally consensual. So you were in a relationship? Not exactly. First time I laid eyes on her was at the rally yesterday. She told me she was getting a law degree. She wanted to help out with the cause. Can you explain her bruises? She wanted it rough. Some women do. I'm totally not into that. And no. In fact, the only thing I'm probably guilty of is a lapse of judgment for not being able to see through the obvious entrapment. Who do you think is setting you up? Oh, come on, it's you guys. In fact, that bitch was probably on the NYPD payroll to help with the vendetta.